You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. We hope that this podcast is a helpful resource in your daily walk with Christ. Now, here's today's sermon. Let's go to Job chapter 36. Job chapter 36. Um, Chapter 32, 33, 34, 35. And then 36 and 37, which we'll cover tonight, deal with, uh, it's, it's a record of a man named Elihu. And Elihu was the fourth counselor that came to Job. And at first, he seems like maybe he's a better counselor. And I think maybe there are some ways that he is. In fact, um, we're going to get to this, but can you give me, maybe you have some background, you've, you've read the book of Job, you've studied it or whatever. Can you give me a reason to think Elihu was better than the other three? Because it comes in the next couple of chapters. We read, um, towards the end of the book, we read that God rebukes Zophar, Eliphaz, and Bildad. But he never rebukes Elihu. Now, why is that? I don't know. But he does seem to have, in my opinion, he seems to be a little bit better. But let's let's finish and... uh, because I think he starts off really good, and I think he likes to hear himself talk. So that being said, listen to me for the next half hour, okay? All right, verse number 1 of chapter 34, I'm sorry, chapter 36, verse number 1. The Bible says, Elihu also proceeded and said, Suffer me a little, and I will show thee what I have yet to speak on God's behalf. Okay. <laughs> Was he speaking on God's behalf? No. I don't think so. Right now, are, is he being arrogant? Maybe so. Are, are there other people in Scripture that are that bold? Yeah, there are people that are that bold because God is moving in them and speaking, and they're speaking, um, being inspired by God. Right? I mean, Paul's quite bold at times, but Paul is speaking, uh, being in, under the inspiration of God. Elihu says, "Suffer me a little; I will show thee that I have yet to speak on God's behalf." Verse three: I will. Fetch my knowledge from afar and will ascribe righteousness to my maker. For truly my word shall not be false. He that is perfect in knowledge is with thee. So, uh, once again, Elihu asks for Job's attention because he says, Yet I have to, I'm going to speak on God's behalf. And then he claims that his knowledge comes from afar. Well, where is afar? I'm assuming, and this is my presumption, that he is saying my knowledge is coming from afar because it's coming from up in heaven. It's coming from, from God. Um, he claims that his words are from God, so they must be true and they must complete, right? God's words, and if we talk about different, um, if we say God, we could say God's word is inerrant. What does that mean? It's without errors. We could say that it is infallible. What does that mean? Yeah, it, it never fails. Everything that God's word says it will do, it will do. We also believe that God's word is complete. And that means that in contained in the word of God is everything that we need to live a life of godliness. It is everything that we need to live the way God wants us to. Well, just because Elihu claims to have, claims to be speaking God's words or words from God, that doesn't mean that his words are without error. It seems to me the longer Elihu speaks, the more he likes to hear him talk. Now, if you're, if, you know, I was joking earlier about he likes to hear himself talk, so listen to me for the next 30 minutes. Here's the thing. The longer I preach, the, the, the more I'm like, I've got to get done because these people are 
got to be done with me by now, right? I'm the opposite of Elihu in this way. The longer I talk, the more I think that I'm gonna, I better stop or they're never coming back. Um, Elihu seems like he, he becomes more self-righteous and more condemning as he goes on. So it seems at the beginning he was like easing into it, and then all of a sudden he, he starts to pile things out. Look at verse 5. Behold, God is mighty and despiseth not any. He is mighty in strength and wisdom. He preserveth not the life of the wicked, but giveth right to the poor. He withdraweth not, withdraweth not his eyes from the righteous, but with kings are they on the throne. Yea, he doth establish them forever, and they are exalted. If they be bound in fetters and holden in cords of affliction, then showeth them their work and their transgressions that they have exceeded. He openeth also their ear to discipline and commandeth that they return from iniquity. If they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. But if they obey not, they shall perish by the sword. And they shall die without knowledge. So in this paragraph that I just read from verses 5 to 12, Elihu contrasts how God treats the wicked with how he treats the righteous. First of all, God treats rightly and he judges rightly without preference. Why? Because God is just, right? And that's true. I think that's one of the points that he's trying to make. In verse 7, Elihu claims that the righteousness um, will have God, the righteous will have God's attention and they will be established and exalted. That's what it seems to me to be saying in verse 7. Then in verses 8 through 10, he claims that if they are suffering, then this is God commanding them to see his discipline, repent, and to repent and to return to him. So he says, um, if they be bound in fairs, if they be holding in cords of affliction. So they're going through struggles, they're going through um, constrainment. Why? And he says, because he's getting them to open, verse 10, open their ear to discipline and command it that they return from iniquity. So basically what he's saying is, yes, you're going through those things. You're being bound because of your sin. And so he's trying to get your attention, right? And that sounds very familiar to what we've been seeing from the other friends. Verse 11, he says, basically saying, if, if they don't repent, they, or if they repent, they will have prosperity and pleasures, right? But in verse 12, if they don't repent, they were going to perish by the sword and die in their ear. Not is that true? It can be, right? I mean, it's possible that somebody repents and everything gets better. But repenting doesn't mean that everything's going to get better. Um, and not repenting doesn't mean that you're going to die by the sword in a certain amount of time, right? So um, again, and but you could also go back and say, well, we know that there are scriptures that are generally true statements. Um, and that, that doesn't sound right because all the Bible is true. But what I mean is, is statements about life, that this is the way life works. And that's true for the most part, but it doesn't always work that way. So maybe, maybe that's an excuse for Elihu. Verse 13, but the hypocrites in heart heap up wrath. They cry not when he bindeth them. They die in youth and their life is among the unclean. He delivereth the poor in his affliction and openeth their ears in oppression. So it clearly from verse 13, Elihu is calling Job a hypocrite. He's saying, obviously, your life is not what you say it is. And so he's warning that the end of a hypocrite is not good. In verse 14, he says, and their life is among the unclean. The word that mean means a sexually immoral person. It's used five other times in the Old Testament and all the other times it's translated sodomite. Now, so he claims in verse 16 that God uses affliction and oppression to turn a sinner away from, uh, away from their sin. 
And there can be some truth there, but once again, he's misapplied it to Job. He's sounding more and more like the other friends. It was not God bringing this affliction and oppression to Job, was it? It wasn't. God allowed it. And in his perfect plan, uh, Mike said to me before church, I asked how he's feeling with his uh, sciatica. Yeah. And he said, uh, he said, yeah, he said, uh, he said, everything works together for good to them that love God and those that are called according to his purpose. Um, that doesn't mean that God brought that on Mike. But whatever, for whatever reason God brought it on Mike, he's, he's allowing it because he's making Mike better. At least that's what he's trying to do. If Mike will just let him. Right? Okay. <laughs> All right, verse 16. Even so would he have removed thee out of the strait into a broad place where there is no straightness, and that which should be set by thy table should be full of fatness. He said, listen, if you would do that, if you would repent, if you would obey God's correction, then you would be free, right? That's what the word straight means. It's to be held in. And he says, so you would be, you'd be set free into a broad place. Instead of coming down a narrow place, you could be in a broad place, and that which should be set on the table should be full of fatness. You're going to have a feast if you would just obey God. That's what he says. But thou hast fulfilled, verse 17, thou hast fulfilled the judgment of the wicked. Judgment and justice take hold on thee. So he says, but you didn't repent. So that's why this is coming on you. That's why there's justice taking hold on you, verse 18, because there is wrath. Beware lest he he take thee away with his stroke. Then a great ransom cannot deliver thee. All right, so I I think what he's saying there is... uh, it's, it's, if it's not too late already, it's going to be too late soon. You, God's going to take your life away, and then it's going to be too late. Then a great ransom cannot deliver thee. Nothing else. And, and we know that that is part of life, right? That there, there are times when it's too late. Um, and I'm going to be talking Sunday about Matthew chapter 24. And we're, uh, we're going to finish chapter 24, and uh, it's about the end times. Now, which part of the end times? We'll talk about that on Sunday because uh, there's a hundred thousand different opinions on that, and I'm going to tell you what the right one is. Okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to give you. I'm going to give do my best to, uh, to to show you what I think. Now, verse 19. Will he esteem thy riches? No, not gold, nor all the forces of strength. Desire not the night when people are cut off in their place. Take heed, regard not iniquity, for thou hast chosen rather uh, rather than affliction. So he's pleading with Elihu, or Elihu's pleading with Job to stop being stubborn. He says by refusing to repent, he sees Job making a decision that he's going to suffer affliction. Like, you're bringing this on yourself because you continue to not repent. He sees Job as regarding iniquity. He says there in verse 21, regard, not iniquity. Um, the, the word regard means to turn to something. So he sees Job... Instead of turning away from his iniquity, which we would call repentance, right? Instead of turning away, he sees Job turning toward it. And he says, regard that iniquity. But Job was doing neither. He was not returning. He was not uh, repenting of iniquity. And he was, and he was not uh, regarding iniquity because he was too principled to do either one. Right? He wasn't going to turn toward it because he's not going to turn toward sin. But he's not going to he's not going to re- turn away from it in repentance because he hadn't done it. Now verse twenty two. Behold, God exalteth by His power. Who teacheth like Him? Who hath enjoined Him in His way? Or who can say Thou hast wrought iniquity? Remember that Thou magnify His work, which men behold. 
Every man may see it. Man may behold it afar off. So Elihu, again, praises the power and work of God as he should. He's right. However, it's clear that he sees Job's problem as not exalting God enough. It's one thing to say God is great and powerful, so don't fear, because God is doing something. Nothing is going to come on you that God did not allow for a purpose. But it's another thing to rebuke a God-fearing person with your praise and say, Oh, God is majestic. God is... uh, He has great power. Who teacheth like him? Who hath enjoined him? Who can say thou hast wrought iniquity? And then he's he's rebuking Job because he sees Job. He's using his praise of God to rebuke someone who's righteous. So, who's the hypocrite? Now, God is great and powerful. And he thought, if you would just get that through your thick skull, everything would be okay. He's, He's telling, you don't see God the way that you should. Verse 26, Behold, God is great, and we know him not, neither can the number of his years be searched out. For he maketh small drops of water. They pour down rain upon, uh, according to the vapor thereof, which the clouds do drop and distill upon man abundantly. So Elihu claims, uh, exclaims the power of God in the natural cycle of water. So he's probably not a scientist. He probably didn't understand everything we understand about the cycle of water, but he does know enough to see that there is a mist and then it comes down and the, the rain comes down and then it forms a mist uh, and then it and he's that's provided through the clouds and so he sees that that cycle of God and he sees God's power in that way but verse 29 also can any understand the spreading of the clouds or the noise of his tabernacle behold he spreadeth his light upon it and covereth the bottom of the sea so he says can you understand the spreading of the clouds the noise of his tabernacle um, and then he says, Behold, he spreadeth his light upon Now, I don't know what the covereth of the bottom of the sea is. I, I really don't know, but I'll just read you what John Gill supposes. He says this, This is to be either understood either of the light of the sun and the rays of it, which are so piercing and penetrating as to reach to the bottom of the sea, and cover it and exhale waters out of it. Okay? So, um... So basically, how do you exhale waters out of it? It would be evaporation, okay? Or, he says, of lightning, which is equally as piercing and penetrating, or more, and strikes to the very roots of the sea and covers them, or rather discovers them, so that the channels of water are seen and the foundations of the world are discovered. So, what does that mean? It could mean a couple of different things, and I don't exactly know, so I just gave you what John Gill thought. All right, Uh, verse 31. For by them judgeth he the people, he giveth meat in abundance. With clouds he covereth the light, and commandeth it not to shine by the clouds that come betwixt. The noise thereof showeth concerning it, the cattle also concerning the vapor. So God uses clouds to judge people and give food in abundance. The noise, what is the noise? It's the noise of thunder, uh, warns of a coming storm. But... uh, I, I guess I was reading this that you know that cattle can sense a storm coming through the moisture in the air. I've never lived on a farm, so I did not know that. Um, and so that, but maybe Ellie who knew that. Okay, the cattle also. He says in verse thirty-three, the noise thereof showeth concerning it. So the noise, the thunder tells you the storm's coming, but also the cattle know it be concerning the vapor. Now Elihu is correct in verses twenty-six through thirty-three. He's correct in a lot of he said. A lot of what he says, good doctrine, right? But misapplied. And so he is turning. He is much like these other friends. Um, 
Elihu believes that Job needs to hear the truth. He needs to hear the truth to realize the power of God. And otherwise, and if he'll do that, then he'll finally repent. Yeah. Probably, yeah. That's a good question. So Peggy said, um, because this is probably the first book that was written in Scripture, um, and he says he, get his, he gets his information from far, where did he actually get it? And I, I don't know the answer. That's a good question. But uh, right off the top of my head, I would think, um, you, ever, you ever talk with people who read Scripture and they know a little bit of Scripture, but because of that, they think they know all of all things? And I'm wondering if that's a little bit of the case. Like, Maybe Elihu was someone that walked with God. Maybe he was someone who really did learn a lot about God, but then as he has, he's gotten a little bit of knowledge, maybe it blew up into arrogance. And I, I don't know. That's a guess. Yeah. Yeah. How did God speak to people before, we had, before they had the law, before they had scripture? Um, well, later in Israel's time, it was through prophets often. But yeah, God God walked with people and talked to them. I, I believe He spoke at different times. I don't I don't know that it was a a constant. Yeah, sometimes there was dreams. Um, but yeah, I think it was verbal. Also through messengers, angels. That's what the word angel means, of course. It could have been messengers. Um, I think that you know we have records of all of those different things. Now, how did Elihu get his information? No idea, obviously. Yeah. Um, what what is that what is that passage where um, Paul says that they would think they will be heard for their much speaking? Um, and I'm wondering if somebody looked it up. Brian, are you googling it, Brian? I mean, you already knew it. You're just confirming it by looking up. Um, what is it? Yeah, it is Matthew. It wasn't Paul. You're right. It was, it was Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Say that. Read it. But when you pray, you do not make repetitions as you do the Jews, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Yep. All right. So that was it. Matthew 6 7. Um, I, I don't know if that's maybe part of his problem. Is He seems to be, like, like he starts out so humble. It's, well, that's what it came in. Or he wanted us to think he's humble, you know, and then he just seems to be building and and becoming a little more arrogant. That doesn't mean everything he says is wrong, of course, but Joshua. As we were reading about Elihu when we first were introduced, it mentioned that he's the youngest of um, Job's visitors. Yeah. And if you look at his, the way he talks and his attitudes, it really does seem to be that there's that youthful arrogance in the way he talks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that any different than the old arrogance and the other three who have spoke for 14 chapters? They're all arrogant. Yeah. And there's no indication in the Bible that any of them were God's men. Right. They're not prophets. Yeah. I mean, the Bible calls them friends. Uh, and I think that they were to a certain extent, but they were ignorant, maybe. They were arrogant. Doesn't mean that they weren't, it doesn't mean that they didn't have good intentions. Right? But they were arrogant. 
Arrogance is, you know, we were having this conversation last night. Yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is his, his demeanor and the way he speaks yeah. reflects youthful arrogance. Sure. As Bill was saying, yeah, the older gentleman had, you know, an arrogance based in maybe a worldly wise experience. He's speaking from reflecting on things he's learned and thinking he knows more than he probably does. Yeah. Do you, do you think maybe he's um, his arrogance is more of a condescending, yeah. talking down to you arrogance? Right. Like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak properly, and I'm gonna act like I'm being uh, respectful, and I'm gonna talk to a man with gray hair, and I'm gonna say, listen, you know, listen, um, you know, your age, and you know, you understand these things, and and then go on to correct him. In that way, I mean, I just picked Bill for no no particular reason, um, but no, but you can, you know, I, I I think you're right, Josh. I think I can see that that there's this youthful, um, condescending attitude, right. and instead of the other men who are going, "What's wrong with you?" you know, and, and yeah, I, I agree. I think that's. Yeah. 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 And the older the teenager, the more smarter they are. Oh, absolutely. All right. You compare it to the first version of the Speak up, Mike, just so as many people can hear you as possible. Do you compare his verbiage? Yeah. Okay. I've got that memorized, but why don't you read it? That's good. No, no flesh should glory in his presence. Mm-hmm. I don't think he has a clue. All these, all these gentlemen. Yeah. I, 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 I agree, man. They, yeah. I, I think I clue. <laughs> That's good. That's that's so good. Like Mike said, not many wise. And my wife and I at one o'clock this morning. I got to bed late because dealing with some stuff. And we were we got talking about people. Yeah. No, it was good. We talked about people who are just humble people, people in our church. We were just talking about people in our church and about the humility of so many different people and um, how important that is and what it, what it, what a, uh, a joy that is to serve with people that are humble people. And, uh, you know, we've all run across people that are, I'm not pointing at Mike, but that are what you were talking about, uh, that, that are the Elihus and the Zophars and the Eliphazes and the Bildads. And and, uh, and, I, and I hope, because, I mean, in this crowd, I'm a little bit younger, not than everybody, but than uh, most of you. Um, and, I, and I hope that, I, I want to be, I want to be somebody who's humble, but I hope I don't ever become like Elihu and begin to like to hear myself talk so much and think I've got all the answers and, and be condescending and I, I, I hope that never 
comes into my life or into your life, uh, that, that none of us become like that. So, Good talk. I enjoyed that. It was good. Thank you for your adding to that, all four of you. Um, verse, let's go to chapter 37. I do want to try to... I'm really... Okay, we're going to do this. I really am excited to get to God's response. Okay? Here's why. I'm getting tired of trying to decipher who's right and who's wrong. And, you know, I just want to get to the one who's always right. So I'm getting excited. Okay? So let's finish chapter 37 so we can get to that next week. Okay? Verse 1. At this also my heart trembleth and is moved out of his place. Hear attentively the noise of his voice and the sound that goeth out of his mouth. He directeth directed under the whole of heaven and his lightning unto the ends of the earth. Obviously he's talking about the Lord, right? After his voice roareth, he thundereth with the voice of his excellency. And he, and he will not stay them with, when his voice is heard. God thundereth marvelously with his voice. Great things doeth he which we cannot comprehend. All right, so Elihu's observed the clouds, the thunder, the lightning, the rains in the chapter, th- chapter 36, and he applies it here in chapter 37. Elihu claims that to be aware and alert to the voice of God. The thunder is a good illustration of the voice of God. We've, we've heard that before. People say, that's, that's thunder. The thunder is the voice of God. My mom said it was God bowling in heaven. I don't know if you remember. Um, yeah, or God moving the furniture, I think was the other one. Uh, he's moving the furniture in heaven. That's what, that's what the thunder is. Um, so God is powerful and his voice is powerful, yet some refuse to acknowledge his great voice and they put themselves at risk in a dangerous lightning storm. That's kind of what I think he's using that as an illustration. So Elihu says, great things do it, or doth he which we cannot comprehend. Uh, that's true, right? And again, I think this is another illustration of truth being misapplied. Uh, I think his, his application here was off. Verse 6, For he saith to the snow, Be thou on the earth, likewise to the small rain and to the great rain of his strength. He sealeth up the hand of every man, that all men may know his work. That then the beasts go into dens and remain their places. So not only is God in control of the precipitation, but he's in control of what kind of precipitation comes down, or how much of it comes down. You ever had snow stop you from going to work or stop you from going to school or things like that? Um, you know, when it snows, I just can't make it to work. It's, it's dangerous, treacherous across that parking lot. Um, but it then causes us to do different things. So typically when there's a snow day, when it's bad, um, you know, I'm going to plow the snow or I'm going to shovel and you're going to shovel and people are going to come by and help, help do things around here. Um, and so sometimes God stops us from our routine. Now, I don't, I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm just telling you where my mind went with this. Okay? I'm not saying this is everything behind what Elihu is saying. But I think sometimes God stops us from our routine so we can reflect on God and what he desires to hear uh, for us to hear from him. Um, but one of my one of my joys is to, to drive the plow truck and just listen to a sermon or just have quiet time, reflection, prayer. I enjoy it. So that doesn't happen when I'm busy, busy, go, go, go. But when I'm just sitting in the truck going back and forth, plowing snow, it, it I enjoy that part. I enjoy the, the kind of the break from it. And I used to enjoy it when Andrew was a little bit younger, a couple of years ago, he'd come out in the truck with me. And at times he would just lay in the back of the truck while I was plowing snow. And he would lay back there, and as I hit the snowbank, he would slide forward. And then as I took off, he would slide backward. And I don't know, he loved it. He doesn't do it anymore, you know, I don't know why. Um, 
Um, so he says, then the beasts go into dens and remain in their places. Does that remind you of anything in the last few years? COVID caused so many of us, so many people, to go into their dens, to go into their homes, and remain. Now, overall, I don't know about you, but I would react differently or respond differently than I did uh, in some things if, if we were to go through something like COVID again. I've got a lot of opinions. That's not my point right now. God did use that time to cause us to step back and reevaluate some things. We as a church had to step back and reevaluate some things. I'm not saying God caused COVID, but God used that time. And, and, you, might, and you might say, hey, I think the government over- d- demanded too much. I think these people should have done this and these people should have that. And we can go through all that. I'm happy to have those conversations in private. Um, but we can't argue the fact that God used it in our lives. Even something that he didn't, you know, that I'm not saying he caused or didn't cause, but... God used it. He caused us to step back and say, hey, maybe we should stream. Maybe we should do online giving. Maybe we should do some other things that, that, um, we, that we, we did start doing and we reevaluated what's important what's not. Okay, let's move on. First night. Out of the south cometh the whirlwind and cold out of the north. By the breath of God frost is given and the breath of the waters is straightened. Also by watering he wearieth the thick cloud and scattereth his bright cloud. And it is turned round about by his counsels that they may do whatsoever he commandeth them upon the face of the world in the earth. He causeth it to come, whether for correction or for his land or for mercy. So Elihu's point is that God uses the clouds, he uses the storms, he uses the winds, lightnings, thunders, snows, rain, sleep, wintery mix, and he clears the skies for his purposes. Now those purposes, what are those purposes? Well, it depends. It may be correction. It may be nutrition. It may be just his mercy is why he's changing. Like I said Sunday, uh, God, if it wasn't for, this is not what he's talking about here, but if it wasn't for the elect's sake and the fact that they would not survive, talking about the Jewish people, I believe, mostly the Jewish people anyway, in the Great Tribulation, that if, they, if, if it wasn't for God's mercy in ending the Great Tribulation, they wouldn't make it. Okay, so sometimes God changes things just simply out of his own mercy. And sometimes it's for other purposes. All right, verse 14. Hearken unto this, O Job, stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. So in this final section of Elihu's speech, he's going to give direct counsel to Job. And he says, consider the wondrous works of God. Now verse 15. Dost thou know when God disposed them and caused the light of his cloud to shine? Dost thou know the balancings of the clouds and the wondrous works of him which is perfect in knowledge? How thy garments are warm? When he quieteth the earth by the south wind, hast thou with him spread out the sky, which is strong, and as a molten looking glass? So these four questions are intended to show Job that he doesn't know as much as he thinks he knows. Here's this young man, again, condescending. He's going to straighten out everybody else. Do you know when God has brought, do you know when God brought these great and wondrous works and how all this works out? And he's saying, of course you don't. Were you there when he spread out the sky? Of course you were not. Now, verse 19, teach us what we want to say to him, well, what we shall say to him. For we cannot order our speech by reason of darkness. Shall it be told him that I speak? If a man speak, surely he shall be swallowed up. 
Um, Elihu was telling Job, you, we don't have the right to speak to a holy God. We don't have a right to speak um, to God whenever we want. That's what, so this is bad counsel, right? We do. He doesn't understand relationship. He doesn't understand what that's about. So Job, stop talking to God and just humble yourself. In other words, stop, stop responding to him and just humble yourself. Get down on your knees and, and stop asking God questions. Um, being quiet is not humility. Right? You can be arrogant and be quiet. And you can be humble and talk. Speaking in the proper way shows humility. Joshua on the bus tonight, we had Ashley. We had uh, Ashley Kraft on the bus with us. And I was asking her about how she's doing. She's in her senior year. And she's, I said, are you almost wrapping things up? Or, and so we were talking about that. And then I, I said to her and Glenn, I said, Ashley, it's amazing to see how much you've grown up since I've known you in the last seven years to see um, Ashley grow. And I said, Ashley, when I first came here, you wouldn't talk. And like I would talk and she would, you guys, I met, maybe you that were here, you know, she was just very quiet. Emma was always, you know, out there and Ashley was just like, I don't want to talk to you, you know. And I said, it's amazing how far you've come. And, and Glenn goes, yeah, she was like that even when I got here. And uh, she goes, well, I just, I don't talk unless I'm, unless I need to say something. And I go, you're going to make a good wife. So, <laughs> uh, I didn't mean I was joking, okay? Just so, is quiet a bad thing? No. No, but is it necessarily a good thing? No. Does that mean there's humility because no one's quiet? No, sometimes people are just shy, okay? All right. Anyway, I just had to throw that in there to fit. So, verse 21. And now, men see not the bright light which is in the clouds, but the wind passeth and cleanseth them. Fair weather cometh out of the north. God is terrible, or with God is terrible majesty. So, you can't look in the sun when the wind blows the clouds away. You see the bright cloud, the bright light which, which is in the clouds. Okay, so you see it behind the clouds. The wind passeth and cleanseth them. And so the north winds drive away the clouds and the rain. And he's basically, God is awesome in power and majesty as seen in the happening of the clouds. That's, I think, what, what we get out of what he's trying to say. Verse 23. Touching the Almighty, we cannot find him out. He is excellent in power and in judgment and in plenty of justice. He will not afflict. So, according to Elihu, remember last week we talked about, there was one spot where Elihu was talking about how, how God is so vast and he is so far away from us. And it almost, almost seemed like there was like a deism in him a little bit, you know, where God had just made us and, and you know, kind of left us to ourselves. Um, I don't think he was a deist, but there was kind of that hint of, it seems like Elihu doesn't understand personal relationship with God. So, he is just and he will not afflict without a valid reason. Verse 24, men do therefore fear him. He respecteth not any that are wise of heart. Men fear God because of God's power and greatness. But God does not respect those who are of a wise heart, meaning someone who is wise in the things of the world. In other words, being smart in this world, having worldly knowledge does not make you someone who God goes Ah, that's the one who has it. He's got it all together. Um, no. So the question is, was Elihu a bad counselor or a good counselor? Yeah, it's like, you get, if I'm putting him on a scale, you know, like, this is bad, this is good. I feel like there's a little more bad. He had some good things to say, and I think there's some positives we can get out of him. And I, I told you when we th three weeks ago when I first started talking about Elihu, I told you I think that 
I was trying to figure out if he was good or if he's bad. That's like trying to figure out, is Pastor Stephen good or is he bad? Well, sometimes he's good and sometimes he's bad, right? And, and that, we can say that about all of us in this room. There's sometimes we're good, sometimes we're bad. Now, I don't think his counsel was good, and I agree with, with what the, the folks were talking about earlier, is that there was an arrogance there. I feel like there was an arrogance. Um, uh, does that mean his intentions were bad? No, but uh, not necessarily. But that doesn't mean that everything he said was bad. doesn't mean everything he said was good. But I don't think he helped the situation. Let's put it that way. He was the best of the bad ones. Okay, that's, that's possible. <laughs> I like that. So, uh, you know, what we saw from him is we saw patience and respect, at least outward. He had some good theology in some cases. But he also lacked an understanding of how God works. He thought that, just like the other friends, that if you, uh, because there was bad in your life, then there must be bad in your heart. And we can't make that judgment. Now, we can, we can see arrogance, we can see pride, we can see uh, clear, open sin that people commit. We can see that, but we still can't judge the heart. But the outward gives an indication of the heart. Um, but what Job's results, uh, the results of what Job is going through, does not mean that he, uh, that well, what, what they thought, that that was good, good comes from good behavior, and bad only comes from bad behavior. And so he really becomes a, another thorn. I think as Mike was talking about, can you imagine Job um, standing there listening to this again after going through those other 14, 12, 14 chapters, whatever it was, um, of hearing those other guys talk, right? Chapter Yeah, when you add them up, I don't know what it is, but a lot, a lot of chapters. So, um, so he wasn't a perfect, uh, he wasn't, Job, he, he's, he's not a perfect man, but he's a righteous man. And it seems like they the accusations that are made against him are unjust and unwarranted uh, by all four of the friends. So, okay. Yeah. You mean, you mean was Elihu maybe influenced by some of these other mystical gods and in, in the way he thought of our God? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say. There's a little bit of the way he's talking about how God influences the weather. Well, that's the way he's and all that kind of stuff. That's what our God does. Yeah. Doesn't he influence the weather? Sure he does. Yeah. I mean, obviously he does. He sets things in motion and and he can can cause uh, to happen what he wants to happen. Uh, I I don't know if I I didn't take anything from it like that. Um, I didn't think of it in that that manner, but I, I certainly didn't take anything that way. Um, maybe, maybe he's heard about the other gods, and he's saying, "No, our God is the one who does." I, I don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't sense anything that way, but I didn't think of it. Okay, next week uh, we finally—I don't mean finally, like oh, it's over—but uh, we finally got through all the friends. Next week we will begin to hear from God in this, and then the last, uh, so chapter thirty-eight through forty-two. This next few weeks, we'll probably slow down a little bit here at the end. Instead of covering two to three chapters in a week, we'll probably cover a little slower, like we did the first couple chapters. And so, we've got a, we've got a, we've got a month or so uh, left in this series. Thank you for joining us today on the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about First Baptist Church, visit us online at fbc hazelpark